0: Having you gang? Me uh Lee Cadman. Sorry about that little noise there. Craig Pinches, and we're joined today by Doctor Singh. Doctor Singh is a surgeon at Leicester Royal Infirmary. Now I got to know uh, Doctor Singh through coming to boxing shows, and he does the medicals. Lovely man, and he's one of the doctors who actually believes in amateur boxing. But that's a podcast for another day. What well, I've asked him to come on is to talk about how All this coronavirus is affecting our doctors, nurses, cleaners. The people we're clapping for every Thursday, even though we're clapping for them, sometimes we're not stopping and asking, how are you? So, Doc, thank you very much for coming on, mate.
2: Thank you, Lee. Thank you for inviting me, Kevin. (laughs) Hey, everybody.
0: And so what's it like on the front ground at the moment, mate? How, How are people's spirits?
2: So, at the minute, we're essentially, we're kind of relieved. I mean, we didn't really feel the surge, uh, certainly not in Leicester or Coventry. Um, I know that there was a few hot spots, actually, towards Birmingham, but that that, that fearful surge that happened in London, we didn't feel the effects of it as much, but that certainly doesn't diminish. There was um, a lot of deaths in a very, very short period of time. Um, So, we're... It's a weird feeling. It's it's almost the aftermath. You know, when a tornado's just hit you, you've panicked, you screamed, and now the tornado's left, and you're just trying to pick up pieces from around you. That's that's where we are at the minute, mate.
0: As you just said, like sometimes
2: it's when you're in the heat of battle,
0: you're fearless, aren't you? But afterwards, when you start thinking, Well, I could have died then, or someone I loved could have died, and how do I move forwards from that?
2: You're absolutely right, right. 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 it's a, it's a strange, strange feeling because when you're in the NHS, irrespective of where you are in the NHS, everybody's working their nuts off. Trust me, there isn't a, there isn't a single person those days of playing golf in mid-afternoon or, or long gone. So everybody's working their nuts off. And um, you, you're right, you don't stop and think. Uh, you don't have that moment to, to gather your thoughts. And unfortunately, like with most things in life, when you don't take time out to reflect on things, it will catch up with you. And at some point, you know, it strikes you and and you'll have to, you'll be forced to confront it. Has there
0: been anyone like from the NHS, like have they been reaching out to the nurses or, you know, when you've had a bad day and you've lost more people than you want or you've lost a colleague, are they offering
2: counselling and other things? So during the period... Um, and when I'm saying the period, I'm talking about from mid-March. I mean, we all knew back in February that, you know, essentially shit has hit the fan. Uh, we were already getting the reports from South Korea. So these are accurate reports. So nobody was believing within the scientific community what was coming out of China. It was way too late. Uh, the WHO was staying a bit very, very stern on things. And so we were relying on information from South Korea Singapore and then Italy blew up and and that's literally we had staff members whose family we're talking brothers sisters mums were in Italy within the hospital service working at the time so this was first-hand information we were getting back in February um, and so over that period when when really everything got changed and uh, the whole world turned upside down for, for us, essentially. There was, there was nothing. There was literally no coordinated effort in terms of addressing what was going on. And to be fair, I, I suppose you can't blame them, really. They had, we were just caught in a, in a huge tidal wave. Um, and we really didn't know how we were going to cope with pa- patients. We, we had beds full of patients that needed to be in hospital. But we knew that there's gonna be a whole new cohort, a whole new population of patients coming in that are gonna need those beds. And unfortunately a bit more than the patients that are already there. And we just didn't have the space or the capacity at that time. That was the real dilemma. So um, yeah, we, we struggled at the beginning. Exactly. right now right now Kevin uh, what we've got now is um, I'm getting emails so this is a great thing so literally um, I can say four days ago I got my first email from um, NHS mental well-being um, and they've invited you to uh, uh, contact them if you feel that you need to but um, again it's it's one of those things that we, we laugh as clinicians because you basically you have to put your hand up you have to put your head above the parapet and say, yeah, I need help to be able to engage and get, get the help. But the whole premise of mental health is like, you don't want to be that person. You're already trying to, you know, shell in, you're already trying to mask your, your inner self and you're trying to put on a face for everybody. And, you know, I, I suspect that there's many listeners that are listening, sitting there right now that, that can relate to this for, you know, for years before they've even confronted that they've had issues, they were basically living a lie, almost as an imposter, putting on that brave face and carrying on. Um, and it's tragic, really, because the NHS—it's—it's it's got very, very young staff. You know, I was on—I was in intensive care for six weeks, um, helping there, and the the staff that were coming through. Let's just say, for instance, nurses. These were nurses that have never ever worked within the NHS before. They've literally just finished their degrees at universities. We're talking about young men and women who are probably about 21 years old, and their first job is in intensive care, mate. And um, to, see, to see that level of mortality around them, I, I don't know how they're going to struggle because they're not equipped with the tools that I've got. You know, I, I've been in this job for nearly 15 years, so I, I've developed coping mechanisms, you know, just, just as we all have that, that are listening right now, we've all developed coping mechanisms. But these young young people, I really, really feared for them, to be honest.
3: So now I can really relate to that. Um, my daughter's disabled and I've been in intensive care so many times with her now, I've lost count. and. Wow. Even even being in that environment makes it stressful. Let alone having to do what they do in there. No doubt, probably not up to the not not enough staff in there with the amount of people at that time as well. Because I know intensive care usually there's one nurse to the bed, isn't there?
2: Um, absolutely, uh, You're absolutely right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I can imagine that that wasn't quite the case. I don't want to put words in the paper, you know, there's, there was that much of an influx of people, there wasn't the staff there to do it. So it must have been very, very daunting. And uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of people who do need mental health help coming out of that.
2: Yeah, I, Lee, it's, it's so strange. So you've seen the inside of intensive care, and, and you've seen that, you know, basically you could walk into any hospital within the NHS. And you know, there might be financial cuts here and there, but one place you know that they explicitly make sure it's the best of the best, creme de la creme is in intensive care. You know, syringes and and, um, drugs might be running out in other places, but in intensive care, they would never ever tolerate things like that. And over this COVID period, if you imagine that a large intensive care unit in this country is considered to be between 18 and 22 beds. We expanded intensive care to nearly 46 beds. That meant that we were taking over other wards. So any patients that were there were essentially having to be moved, either to other wards, there was no room, or to home. And then we were then trying to get all the equipment in to make those into intensive care beds. So it was absolute bedlam at the beginning, Um, and. And imagine, imagine if you've never ever worked in intensive care and your first job, you're told, is that you're going to go into intensive care where they've all got coronavirus and then you're going to be caring for the most critically ill patients right now. There's nobody else iller than these people and there's nobody else that you're going to be able to save their life. And then you're told that there is no rotor, there's no timetable, you just stay there and you keep going and going, and you remember you, you remind yourself that this shit guys i 've got to get home you know there was at the beginning there was there, was, there wasn 't the coordination there and um and God bless all those people that work in intensive care they those guys just worked such ridiculous hours it was it was mayhem i mean i was I was literally there from an eye point of view, so i wasn 't really looking after the lungs or or the the heart and things like that. But the people that were having to do that, they couldn't leave the bedside. It would change dramatically within a few minutes, the state of the patient. Um, And so, you know, I personally know of people that were there, you know, doing 14-hour shifts, 16-hour shifts, going home. First thing they do is collapse, then get up, shower, and come straight back in again, because they knew they had left a couple of patients that they need to really look after. So,
0: uh, did that beautiful doc? Did, what was that interference then, Lee? Do, do we know? Was it just the internet,
4: Lee? Lee, you're on mute, mate.
3: <laughs> Sorry, Kev, it's me pausing your mic. Unfortunately, we're we getting interference from your mic, so I have to pause you every now and again.
0: All right, then, fine, yeah. Um, can I am I talking now?
3: Yeah, you're fine. You're fine as long well. you can talk. But but when anyone else is talking, I have to
0: pause you. Okay, so doc, because we had someone who's an ex-squaddy come on the other day, Stuart Bratt, Bratt, and he was saying like he was in there, uh, he was in combat, and he was saying he can imagine these nurses and doctors, as as you just ex- described these these first timers are coming to see this this battlefield of death and pain they're going to be coming away with it from post-traumatic stress
2: syndrome? I, I, You know, I don't have any experience of PTSD, but from what I've learned, I'd be very, very surprised if a majority of them aren't struggling with it right now. It was... um, So there's a strange thing amongst the clinicians is that we have a lot of dark humour, right? And it's basically lads what we do you know somebody gets hit by a car and you go into the hospital to see him and you make a joke right it would just be a funny thing be like blimey you know i i knew you needed your eyes tested but jesus christ you couldn't see the van coming that kind of thing it's um i think that the way that we were handling things as the senior clinicians we were using a lot of dark humor but there were moments that even that couldn't cover up things that we were seeing it was um you know, Kev, if you imagine, and I've never seen this before, you hear these romantic type stories where there's a really elderly gentleman in, in a bed on a ward and his wife also gets admitted and, and nurses put them together so they can hold hands and things. Well, here on intensive care, imagine there was families. You know, we're talking about husbands and wives and their kids all in the same bloody ward and they're all being ventilated and because they're in a coma, none of them know about the others, the fate of the other members of their families uh, and you know I I still, I can't comprehend what it must be like um, to wake up and be told you know, the, the gravity of the situation, what's happened I, I just it really, really, it. it. I don't think the, I don't think the human brain is designed for things like this. I, I really don't.
0: Lads, is there anything, uh, Aaron? Is there anything you'd like to ask Dr. Singh about this?
4: Just trying to unmute myself. No, I think I'm I'm seconding everything. Obviously, everyone's saying here. I've got family that work for the NHS as well, frontline. My mom was a nurse, pretty much most of life. My dad's still working. My wife's a pharmacist, so I feel everything that they're going through, and I and I, I second everything that you say. That when they come home, it's not just exhaustion from like the, the physical aspect. It's like mentally taxing on them, and and, and that's horrible. Um, the only thing I was going to ask you, but obviously uh, this might be out of your remit, I suppose. Uh, given your expertise isn't so much on the mental health aspect was what's and, I, and i'm being a bit of a pessimist pessimist here sorry is what's your views in terms of like second waves uh, and is there anything that maybe you could just recommend or that maybe we could mitigate something happening later on because for me i'm still overly cautious i'm still really not not kind of throwing myself out there because i can't have that on my conscience that me going out one or two weeks earlier could eff- could essentially affect somebody else so that, that's probably all i really you know, uh, it's, it's a really, really
2: good question, okay? And um, the other thing that I'd, I'd like to say, is it Aaron, uh, your name? Yeah. Yeah, Aaron, and the other thing that I'd like to say is that it's amazing that you're sitting there and your very first thought is, I might be implicating or I might jeopardise somebody else. You know, and I I think this, that attitude is... I think it's quite unique to, to being British that the first our very first instinct is always well look I, I didn't even consider myself all I'm worried about is bringing it home and giving it to somebody else yeah. or you know um, so look mate I people like you are, are few and far between in the world honestly I, I you should um, you should hold your head very high for having those types of principles um, in terms of second waves so coronavirus itself it's a bit like the flu virus, right? It's been around for thousands of years, we suspect. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be that when a particular mutation happens in any of these types of viruses, they either become really, really weak and disappear, a bit like influenza does. So each mm-hmm. year it comes around, it's really aggressive, and, but it's mutating at such a rate itself, its DNA is so unstable that every time it tries to make offspring, the offspring are a little bit weaker than the predecessors. And that's how influenza dies out usually. The thing with this particular coronavirus is is that one, we don't think it's mutating, right? It might be, but it's so soon that we just haven't seen any mutations in it. Uh, And certainly if it has mutated, it hasn't caused it to get any weaker yet. In fact, you know, the worry is, is that are the mutations adapting to become stronger? So, any previous coronavirus infection that's happened, you know, you have little outbreaks, nothing like this, though, right? So, get, get COVID out of your head. Let's just say that there was a flu virus and it happened to be by corona. It's like a, you know, a tail, a rattle of a tail. Yeah. The first wave is really major. And then the next wave that happens is usually they suspect it's between three to six months later. And it's a, it's a smaller ripple. And then it gets smaller and smaller in a cycle like that.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: But this isn't behaving like those ones. That's the problem. The, yeah. the variety and the fact that it's not mutating as quickly, we, we're we worried that it's not going to behave like all the other types of infections that we've seen with corona. Um, and then the other really important thing you've asked is something that's, you know, on the lips of everybody is is what can we do? Um, and, and the small and short of it is, uh, which is very apt, which is why I think this podcast is amazing is people that have um mental health issues usually Mm -hmm. hand in hand they have a lower immunity okay this is something that we've found throughout the world that when somebody is depressed Mm -hmm. they generally are more susceptible to having infections or they don't heal as quickly as somebody that is not depressed okay So this means that all of a sudden, you've got a huge population of people that may not be sleeping very well. They may be having, you know, they may have uh, illicit drug addiction and they may have anxiety. And that's causing them to have lots and lots of, you know, periods of where they're not eating as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many knock on things. Sunlight, you know, if you're staying indoors because you just literally you cannot drag yourself out of the bed because you're just feeling so crap that day, you know, there, there's there's no motivation within you to get out of bed, so you're not getting the sunlight that you need, and the sunlight is so important for vitamin D, and and just to boost your hormones, and and we're talking about the happy hormones here, right? The neurotransmitters within the brain. um it, It's a strange thing. Uh, people in Iceland, they've they basically they have they don't have as high a depression rate and we suspect it's because when the sun does come out, all of these nutters in Iceland they basically they just run out and they just push each each other out into the sun and they try to maximise it. Um, uh, we don't do that, right? Because we take it for granted the sun's out and when it doesn't come out, we think sod it, we stay in. Um, so, so there, there's lots of things, but but generally what I'd say is that that the the big game here is up here, mate it's yeah absolutely, and I'm not telling everybody to be on top of their game and become super strength humans, but you've really, really got to think about hold on a second uh, i do I really need to um you know lock into into my usual habit, and it's very hard it's, it's easy for me to say sitting here, right, but but you've got to try and break that habit of of what's causing you to 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 not really. Uh, get the maximum um, immunity level Um, and so that means eating well certainly sleeping well and definitely getting some sunlight onto you, even in the
4: window Thank you, I think that's really, really useful advice, thank you
0: Is there any questions you'd like to ask the doc?
1: Me mate um, it's not so much a question, it'll be I'll be the first to admit like when all this has come about and even even of lately, I've sort of been of I'm, I'm like the opposite to Aaron. So I've not I've not sort of disrespected the social distancing measures and and done what I want to. But I've always felt in myself that nothing's true that I'm hearing because I've not heard it from someone like yourself. And what's yeah. made me feel like today that I've sort of took it a little bit more um, Casual would the word be? I don't know. Um, I've not been scared into anything. I've not felt scared. But after hearing you today and you saying that you, from what you've seen firsthand, it sort of made me, it sort of stopped me in my tracks sitting right here and thinking, you know, just because you're a pessimist when it comes to media and social media and whatever else, you know, it doesn't mean to say that um, it, it's not as serious because I've never I've never sort of questioned the severity of it I just never believe what I hear and people I hear on social media because I always think that there are a lot of bandwagon jumpers there are a lot of scaremongers and this that, and the other and I'll be the defer- first I'm far from an ignorant person but I've sort no. of sort, you know I've sort of sat here listening to you now and thought maybe I have been a little bit not, not ignorant and I've not been callous in my behaviour but you've sort of put it into perspective how how serious it is you know, from what you've seen firsthand,
2: those are again very, very excellent points you've raised. I think, um, I think nowadays with with all the Kim Kardashian and and all of that stuff going on, we tend to take a lot of what we read with a pinch of salt. Um, and and remember, I've I've portrayed to you guys what I've seen in intensive care, so I'm like the the tip of the iceberg you know, the worst part right at the top that's going to melt first kind of thing, they're the patients that I've seen. Um, So I don't want to paint a really, really atrocious picture of what's happened, but I've seen the worst of it. Just like the gentleman you had on last week, Kevin, that you were saying, the squaddy who's, you know, he's that poor fella, he's seen things that I don't think the human brain is ever supposed to see, you know, Um, and and hence he's been brave enough to talk about these things and, and share these insights with all of us. Um, I think that there's most people when they get coronavirus they will resolve they will get better but for some reason this particular uh, infection it was getting really young fit men and women um, to the point where they needed to get admitted in, in, into intensive care and and when i saw that that's when it exactly like you're saying it it struck me i thought oh shit this is real you know this isn't just um, something happening in china and italy and and you know it, it, they all just making it up and it's just there's obviously some ulterior political motive um i i thought to myself bloody hell and and you know there's I, I know we're running short on time, but I wanted to just quickly share one other thing with you that, um, and and this stopped me in my tracks as well. This particular aspect of the story. Um. So, when, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. Um, it's probably because I don't want to talk about it. To be honest. Uh, um, sorry, Kev. Go go ahead. Uh, let me see if I can regather my thoughts a second.
0: No, it's great, mate, and this is what we love, though. think we love real people, as you know. We haven't sent you any questions over. We want it to be people talking generally from the heart.
2: Yeah, I, I, and that's why I probably like I probably like the boxing fraternity so much because, um, you know, it's just. The population that i see they're just very very honest honest people i and i you know I, I love that that's it i'm attracted to that type of environment tremendously um the the one story that i i wanted to share with you guys from intensive care was um so lee if you recall Unfortunately, I'm, I'm bringing you into this just because you shared, shared your stories when you were in intensive care with your, your daughter. Um, I, you can imagine that you basically got to know the nurses and the clinicians to such a level that you were on first name terms, right? And, and, and you were, it was almost as though they were talking to you as much as they were to the patient. Um, and and this, this is the thing that hit the intensive care consultants so hard was that all of a sudden, if you got admitted into intensive care, you had no family around you. The only contact that you'd have was on the end of a phone, and you'd have to ring the family member, find some time in the day. It'd probably be only once in the week you'd get a phone call as an update to, to what's happening to your loved one. And, uh, and one consultant, she started crying. And this was a consultant 15 years in intensive care. So, you know, a tough old nut, right, who's been making critical decisions for a majority of her life. And she, she broke down and started crying. It was about one o'clock in the morning. Uh, she had just come out of the hot zone. The hot zone is where you've got to have the full equipment on, like you're dressed in as an astronaut, essentially. And you've just come out. You're drenched in sweat. Um, and you're exhausted because you're carrying all that weight. And um, she broke down in tears. And, and I happened to be there. And I was like, oh, you know, are you okay? And she said that I just feel so mechanical and robotic. I um, I really, I, 80% of my care was being able to talk to the loved ones and engage them in the decision-making, you know, really embrace them. And, you know, because I couldn't talk to the patient because they're comatose, I'd be talking to the the family, the, the daughters and the parents, and, and let them know that, you know, this is what we're thinking, what do you think? And that was stripped away. And she said that I feel like a robot in there. I'm I, 80% of my care is now suddenly being shred away. And I didn't realize that that's what made me a doctor. It wasn't the 20% of mechanical work that I was doing to save lives. And, I, and that really got in my psyche. I, I was, I was mesmerized by what she said. I, I, I drove home and I couldn't stop thinking about, about what she had spoken. Um, you know, that's a real trooper. You've, I don't think there's going to be very few people in, in life that get that moment of epiphany where it make, they suddenly realise that, shit, that's what made me. And she had that moment, uh, albeit in, in the worst of circumstances.
3: In truth, I couldn't really imagine me not being able to be there and support my daughter at that time. Uh, and you're right, the, the nurses there, the doctors there, for the, for the time you're in there, they're like a second family. They're not just they're not just there doing the job. they are also a shoulder to cry on, um, someone who you can talk to, who who has some kind of understanding of what you're going through. And that goes for the for the other people in there. My daughter's five, so he was on um, the children's uh, intensive care ward. And there's other families around you as well. who are all going through the same thing, so you you kind of gain strength from everyone around you as well as the doctors. But they really do. The doctor and nurses really do become part of your family to the point we, we get invited to Christmas do's that they have on their on their ward still. And, and she hasn't been intensive care in over a year now. You know, it's um, and the work they do is just fantastic. It's and the care, yeah. the care and the, 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 the take, it's, it's unreal. Um, We do have a question You're for old. you. Oh, Sorry. Please, you yeah, uh, Aaron, do you want to do you want to ask
4: that question? Can you see that on the screen? It's it's from your yeah, wife. Yeah, sure. So. Yeah, so I, I managed to persuade the wife to actually watch today. Bless her. Um, she <laughs> well, was just good. asking, Hello. actually, that um. So she's heard some news that's come out that apparently black or Asian groups are potentially more likely to die from COVID. Um, is, and she's just asking, have you seen anything that would maybe um reaffirm that statement uh, in the workplace yourself? Are there extra precautions? Maybe you'd advise. Uh, black and Asian groups, or is this just something that again has just come in the media and kind of just been retweeted about? Um, so I mean, I was in Leicester,
2: uh, and Leicester's densely populated with Gujaratis. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's like uh, we're talking about mainly Indian population. You do have a small Bengali and Bangladeshi population, and about equal. I mean, I don't know. I've, don't quote me on this, but I think about equal mix of of white. And um, African heritage, uh, black cho- children and, and people. So, when I was in there, I generally saw mainly men, right. very few women, uh, and then of those men, they were nearly all of them were either black or brown. There was the very very odd Caucasian person. Now, in my head at that time, I was trying to figure it out. It struck me as well. I was like, yeah. you know, it's full of blokes in here. And, um, and they all bloody look like me. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I was like, geez, what's going on here? Um, and I, I put it in my head that, well, Leicester's made up of mainly Indian population. And hence, if someone's going to get ill, they're going to most likely be from an Indian family. And that's why they've ended up here. But then as we started learning in April that actually other places uh, around the country had got the same type of mix that I was seeing in Leicester and they necessarily didn't have that many ethnic population uh, within this, the community around them. That's when this whole thing about, you know, the BME community being more susceptible was really taken seriously. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I have to stress to the listeners that that we were all learning while we were there as well we've never seen anything like this it's unprecedented hmm. so we're still trying to get our head around it and there's a lot of theories out there the first one was vitamin d that awesome. you know generally we thought that because of our genetics we generally have require more vitamin d than most and we just don't get it in this country okay. But then when we looked at populations where there was some and they were ethnic, it just didn't make sense because they were just getting it just as bad as well. Right, so that okay. was out. Then there was a little bit of a, um, a theory about TB and people that have had the BCG vaccine. Now, any of our, our, our white listeners out there, they'll know every one of their mates at school that was from a black or asian background had this horrible scar on their arm and i you know yeah. i've still got mine there uh and, and you know i'm sure that you guys could yeah. all have a look on you and be like yeah shit you're right dog so what that was was that there was a higher rate of tb being infected because people from those particular communities they'd have family members coming over from overseas where there's a higher rate of tb and infecting the people nearest to him, And so it was just thought that the best thing to do is just vaccinate the highest-risk people. And they thought, shit, do you reckon that vaccines got something to do with being more susceptible to coronavirus? But that hasn't really worked out. They've they've tried to investigate that, and they've said that, well, that that doesn't work out either. Um, So we're still kind of at a loss as to why. What we do know... And these are facts, is that black and Asians, they tend to have a higher rate of diabetes. Yeah. So hence, it means that you're higher risk for anything. It just happens to be corona this time. Uh Black and Asians tend to be of a lower socioeconomic group. And therefore, when they're living in a house, it's not just, you know, their brother and sister in the house. You've got bloody grandchildren, grandparents. yeah uncles aunts you got people visiting that you don't even know who the hell they are but they're living in the house as well because they're just trying to bloody you're just trying to help them out and they're thinking that maybe that has an impact as well and that's fact so you know these are the kind of things that we're trying to struggle and work out why um but certainly this doesn't mean that you're immune if you're white because i've seen it with my own eyes blonde hair, blue-eyed, you know, you know, the stereotypical white person. And they've, you know, really, really, you know, I don't want to say the actual words, but they've met their demise uh, from this infection. So this this isn't just a, a black thing at all. Um, and, and you know, the other thing, Lee, is uh, I think we were off air when we were just, you know, when we were just starting to the podcast the whole political aspect behind this is there's people that are exploiting this whole fact so badly at the minute, um, and it, it's making making me furious to be to be honest with you, me and my friends um, within the hospital, because all of a sudden now you've got you've got those that want to use this as a motive to now expound other types of ideas uh, and other other things that they they feel a bit pissed off about within community. But to use this as a weapon to mm. try and get across your views, you know, uh, that's, that just doesn't make sense to me at all. It, it's sickening. Thanks for that. Thank you. No worries. Well, is, is, is anyone?
0: Um, ask Dr. Wazir. Well, from, from the bottom of my heart, Doc, thank you. What I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to advertise the next show, but why I'm advertising it, if you have a think, if there's any quotes or sayings that's not only just got you through this stuff, but it's helped you get through life. So while you're having a think, I'm going to advertise first this show. On Thursday, we've got a very good friend of mine. He's boxing me for 18 years. He's a coach at the club, Gary Tomlinson, <coughs> a.k.a. Gaz Southport. Now, he's done his boxing and now he's going into photography and modelling. And when I asked him to come on the show, he says, but if I haven't really had that many real life-changing badness. I went, but well, you're a bloke and you have had these down days. And I think that can relate sometimes more to people than some of the super stories because we're all people, we all have our ups, we all have our downs. Some days we're bulletproof and other days we could crumble if a landed on our shoulders. So remember... As Doc said, as Lee said, all the gang said, we've all got these problems. So let's reach out and take care of each other by phone call or never allowed to pop around and stand at the bottom of the garden and check on each other. So,
2: Doc, have you got any quotes or sayings? I've, I've got one, mate. And, um, and uh, it certainly is something I've said to my kids over this last period as well. Um, and I'd love to share it with everybody. It basically goes that you can read all the philosophies in the world. You can read the highest books of religion in the world. And you can be taught by the greatest masters in the world. But even then, the highest of all the highest, the the best religion of all is love. And that's really what I'd like everybody to share.
0: Thank you very much. So we're going live again on Thursday at 6 p.m either on this Facebook or on YouTube, whichever way you're finding us. And if ever you do miss an episode, you can always go back to our YouTube channel, which is free, and listen to all of our guests. So until Thursday, gang, take care of yourselves and each other. Listen,
1: listen, listen.
0: And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, TararaBit.
1: Listen, listen.